This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 107.5 FM, giving you an in-depth look at all the stories, events, and topics that show how our officers serve and fight for our community every single day. Unholstered. Here we go, another edition of Unholstered. Hope you're having a great weekend. My name is Kayla Blakesley, one of your hosts here on Unholstered. I represent the media side when it comes to this show, talking about all things uh, law enforcement. Obviously, my co-host, Sophia, represents the side of law enforcement. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sophia Rosales-Catina. I'm a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome to the show. This this particular uh, edition of the show has been long overdue, and I say that just because um, we've been inundated with so many questions, Sophia, about Indiana rather recently becoming, for lack of better terminology, a constitutional carry state. I know that could be debated depending on who you ask, uh, but that's what we're calling it here for just for sake of conversation. Um, and we've told listeners we promised we would get to all of their questions. We were just simply trying to allow enough time to get all of them. And boy... Do we have a ton of questions? And you brought in the experts to answer them. Uh, but before we get to these fellas that you brought in studio, I want to throw out my own disclaimer. Can I do that, Sophia? <laughs> you can do about... that. Go right ahead. <laughs> so, you know, we've been talking about this a lot. And, and really, you're not hearing a lot of legislators talk about this legislation. We didn't going into it. We didn't even when it passed here in the state of Indiana. We're not hearing a lot of comments from our governor. Um, but one of, the, one of the big pieces, at least to us, was the fact that most, not all, most members of law enforcement weren't really in favor of this becoming law. And, and it was hard for me in my line of work that I do to get to the bottom of why that was or why that is. And same with legislators, folks who were even in favor of it. I had a hard time getting to the bottom of, well, why are you in favor of it? So I have, I've had a lot of folks recently just, you know, um, upset with me that I haven't challenged you, Sophia, or challenged a lot of the guests that you have brought in to talk about this particular legislation. And I just want to throw out there, that's not what you and I do. That's not what the show is about. The show is strictly a fact-finding mission. And I walked into this with you, Sophia, and I even said, I said, convince me, convince me one way or the other, whether this legislation is a positive thing or a negative thing for the state of Indiana. And that's just where I'm at with law enforcement. I genuinely want to hear all sides of the argument, not only so I can make good decisions about it and understand my why, but so that listeners can too. Right. We're just here to give you some opposing views of what yours might be. You don't have to believe anything we say on this show, but understand that I'm coming from a different perspective as a law enforcement officer, and Kayla's coming from a different perspective as a citizen. And sometimes we agree on a lot of things. And sometimes I just have a little bit more maybe experience with things that some other people don't. And I think people get mired down in this idea that everyone is like them. Mm -hmm. People are not you. Mm -hmm. There are bad people in society, and you have no clue what they do or how they act or how laws affect them in a positive or negative way. Um, so just listening, being open-minded. I'm not here to change your opinion on anything. I'm just here to present some opposing views on some things. Take my truths as they are. Or not. That's completely up to you. But I think that's the essence of this show. We're giving you information. Yes. You take it and you do with it what you want. Do your own research. Find out the answers. Don't just listen to one side and then regurgitate what they say and, and take that as gospel. I'm just here to present an opposing view. And I do so as a member of the Fort Wayne Police Department. I am not here... Um, privately as Sophia the Citizen. So that'd be a different show, maybe. It would be a different show. <laughs> it would be completely. In about six years when I retire, we can do Ooh, that show. I can't wait. That's a good tease. That's what they call a good tease in yes. the biz, Sophia. Um, but overall, I think, you know, we just need to be open. And honestly, I don't make these laws. No. 
I can have my say. I'm a voting member of this state as well. I vote every election, and I vote for people who align with my values. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. But I don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm not going to disavow someone for one opinion on one issue. I think that's absurd to do that. Um, but again, uh, that's my well that's said. my take on this. Yeah, well said. Well, I just kind of want to throw that disclaimer out there. I, I'm quite frankly, I'm just tired of people saying it to me. Hey, uh, say this, bring up this, ask that, debate this, and that's just not like you said. It's not the essence of this show. It's no. not the essence of this topic. It's not, How, and it's very offensive, honestly. It, it when really people is. tell me that I'm not for the Constitution and all this stuff, that's offensive to me yeah. because every day I back the Constitution. Yep. I don't know about anybody else, but I don't know that they're going to get sued because they misstep or they make a mistake. I put my butt on the line every day doing that. And so does every single one of those police officers around the nation. And we are tasked with upholding the laws that your legislators make. Don't get mad at me for because them. I have to enforce yep. them. That's my job. Mm -hmm. If you don't like the law, then approach your legislature and do something about that. Or run for office. There's uh, there idea. you go. So we brought in uh, two fellas. Uh, one is a familiar voice to kind of answer the questions. And here's what we're doing. Y'all have the same list I do. <laughs> I ripped these qu questions right from listeners. They were submitted via our text back line that we have here at the radio station, uh, emails. Um, some of them I did get in person that I wrote verbatim down in my cell phone in my notes section, um, and I ripped them all verbatim. Some of them um, are kind of repetitive. I've seen a lot of questions about reciprocity, so we'll get to that. Uh, but genuinely, Sophia, I want to answer the questions as they came in. I don't want to change them around. I don't, you know, I just, I want to be as transparent and honest in answering all these questions as we can be. So absolutely. Um, if some of them are repetitive, maybe we'll skip over them, but it might feel like we're bouncing around a little bit because we're just taking them as they came in. Right. And, but first we probably need to introduce our guests. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> We've been talking back and forth. Um, I brought two gentlemen in. Uh, one was able to make it this time. He wasn't out of town. Uh, but these are the two gentlemen that actually went down and testified to the state legislature about constitutional carry. And they had really good things to say. And I just want people to understand this is not legal advice we're giving you here. You st if you have legitimate questions, you probably ought to talk to an attorney or call up the legislature who, who made the law and get an explanation. We're kind of giving you how we're going to be doing things yeah. as we move forward. Um, and... We just want to explain to you how we understand this and how we as a department is are going to be enforcing or not enforcing things. So go ahead, gentlemen. I want you to introduce yourselves. I'm Detective Mark Deshays again with the Gang and Violent Crime Unit of the Fort Wayne Police Department. And Matthew Foote, also uh, part of the Gang and Violent Crimes Unit. And as Sophia mentioned, you both went down to the State House uh, to speak um, regarding this legislation. You spoke in all the hearings, right, that happened? There yes. were multiple hearings. Multiple hearings. Um, so obviously you're both really educated in this, and I just I, I just want to come out of the gate swinging with these questions, if that's okay. Um, full transparency, Sophia, we gave both of you the list ahead of time, so you did know it was kind of coming at you. That's only fair. Well, well, I think that's only a, fair. There's yeah. a lot to unpack. There is yeah. a lot to and unpack. And this law has just been signed, and it doesn't go into effect till July 1st, and there's a lot of questions that need unpacked and figured out in that time frame before the law actually goes into effect as well so that everybody has a fair understanding of it. And, you know, and, that, and again, it's not just for citizens. Probably, I'm assuming, for you guys for as well. For us as well. Oh, sure. Yeah, yes, there's sure. a lot yes. to unpack. I feel like the number one most common question we actually got was about reciprocity. Can you maybe just address that out of the gate? So reciprocity is the agreement between states 
that allows you to carry a handgun between different states. And essentially it deals with the fact that if one state has checked you and determined that you're a permitted person, that other states agree that that's fine with them for you. If you're permitted in one state, they agree that you can be permitted in their state as well under those guidelines. So the concern with constitutional carry is now that there's no longer a vetting process, constitutional carry typically doesn't cross state lines. Uh, constitutional carry, as the law is written in Indiana for this law, will apply only to residents of Indiana. It will not apply to out-of-state residents, so they will still need to have a gun permit. And conversely, when Indiana residents travel to other states that allow for carrying concealed weapons, they will need a permit from Indiana in, a, in accordance with their those state laws. So this does not do, let me make this clear, this does not do away with the permitting process. No, we, we are maintaining a permitting process in the state of Indiana for the means of reciprocity. Okay, let's start here. The very first question that you all have on the same sheet that I have says, and I'm assuming, Mark, this is actually from the episode a while back that we did on constitutional carry where, where this particular listener heard this number, and I don't even know that this was the right number, but I'm going to, I don't think it was if my memory serves me correctly, but I'm going to read it as they sent it. It says, hey, Kayla, I heard the stats this morning that 700 of those applying for gun permits were denied. I would ask of those 700, how many were wrongfully denied? Mark, do you recall those numbers? I don't feel like it was 700. It was much lower. And I think yes. Matt's got the actual, yes. it was in the 600s, but wrongful denial. Yes, there, there's denial for all manners of issues and you know maybe because we only have a short time frame that, that was not you know completely delved in but you know those denials can be for such things as serious as felonies it can be for such things as not signing your forms can be a denial because you're not swearing or affirming that you're giving the right information mm. so those denials cross a, a large genre I, uh, I think Matt would be better to speak on the actual numbers I think I think what people don't know is that this check and balance system for the permitting process was a multi-layered uh, check and balance system where locally there is a criminal background check done for folks that wanted to obtain a permit. And once that was complete, that gets sent down to the state and the state is, has the final mm -hmm. say for approval. And, and if somebody does not get a permit, then they can uh, go through the administrative process to challenge that. Uh, you know, our, our permits locally uh, were denied for uh, a battery of uh, reasons and included uh, people not admitting to convictions, domestic battery, battery, uh, mental health reasons, uh, people that did not uh, disclose that they were uh, already felons or resisting law enforcement. There's a there's a whole host of reasons why people were denied. But I guess the biggest thing is, is that this was a, a multi-layered system that if we denied somebody locally, well, that still had to go to the state and be approved, or uh, they didn't approve it, and people got their permits anyways. So what I'm hearing you say, there aren't really a huge number that are, quote, wrongfully denied their permit. Correct. This is a vetting process that, that worked very well. And I guess I, I guess I have tar terminology of wrongfully denied implies some sort of malice, but the fact is, if you're denied, you had the appeal process and you could appeal your case. And this, this question specifically said that this person was denied and appealed and got his permit issued. Uh, and that's the whole purpose of this check and balance system is if there's, it allows, if there's an error for it to be corrected. There's a way to correct there's that. A, there's a method right. to correct it. We see it. it all the time too. When, when people get issued warrants, a date of birth gets messed up or a name gets messed up, people in the same families and you know the brother gets the warrant instead of the other brother. Things happen, Clerically, er, clerical errors are made. And 
when you go there, but there is a system in place to to challenge that and to to find resolution for that. And then this person was able to get their permit. So the system is working and it's working how it's intended to work. Let me skip to a question on the very back, fellas. It's on the very last page. Um, this was a real life scenario. I just ran into someone over the weekend who asked me to ask you all this question um, on this show, but it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. This, this individual said that he was denied a permit in Fort Wayne for an incident that occurred in New Jersey 30 years ago. Um, and he said he recently passed a background check to purchase a firearm, but when he applied for the carry permit, he was denied due to this New Jersey incident. He said when he tried to repeal it, he was told that he needed the documentation from that incident, which he told me was 30 years ago, so he no longer has. He's like, I don't know where those papers are. I don't know where those documents are. So he, he straight up asked me, what am I supposed to do? And I said, I don't know. That's a question for Detective Deshaies. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of this gray area, and I've read scenarios very similar to this uh, where there's, you know, discrepancies. People get gun permits, but then they get denied on the background check by federal firearms per license dealers, or conversely, they can be approved, or they have stuff, you know, skeletons in their closet that should prohibit them, but they were approved. You know, unfortunately, I think when we get into these scenarios specifically, I hate to offer legal advice to this person. Sure, totally understandable. On, on the very narrow confines, because I don't know what his issue was 30 years ago. Some things do not just drop off. Uh, some things, especially when we're talking interstate issue, you know, we may not be able to retrieve something from New Jersey and review it correctly, so we can only go over the factual basis of what it might say on paper. Uh, and that's where he would need to maybe just go and apply for those records to to allow for a better understanding of what happened and how it affected him specifically. But when this law goes into effect July 1st, that incident essentially won't matter. It does. Well, that's not true because if it was a felony—let's say, hypothetically, this was some prior felony that happened some long okay. term ago and that's what denied him— that felony still exists, and if he all of a sudden mistakenly believes that he can constitutionally carry, um, then he could be subjecting himself to mm -hmm. an error in his thought process that could be a arrestable offense. So, I mean, it, for him specifically, these types of cases that are very complex, I would solicit the advice of a lawyer gotcha. to delve in because, you know, I would hate to uh, mistakenly think that I can do something and then find out by way of illegality that I've done something completely wrong. So, I mean, I, I, I would be very concerned and very interested to hear what the rest of this is, uh, but I, I would hold my opinion until you could, we know more s about that. This is what was so nice about the permit process, because uh, it, it automatically gave people a background check and explained to people why they were denied mm -hmm. and what, or, or what steps they needed to take to become a permitted person. You know, things happen when you're a juvenile that you think are sealed and that's the end of it. But some of those things carry through and some of those will prevent you from, from obtaining, you know, the ability to carry. So I just want people to be aware that it's never, everything is not just black and white, especially when it comes to this. And we're learning too. I mean, this is new for us too. Yeah. So, you know, we're just trying to give you the best that we know at this point of what this law means. I, I kind of want to move down on this sheet. Um, this one does get a little bit more political, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> uh, but this is this is a very political topic, whether we like it or not. But it says, I can very much understand law enforcement not wanting to allow just anyone to walk around with a sidearm. But is it constitutional to deny someone a sidearm if they have not been adjudicated and found guilty by a jury of their peers? Is that not infringement? I, I think that there's a misunderstanding. I think that, because reading through the questions that were uh, submitted, I think there's a general 
tone that law enforcement does not want people armed, and I think that's completely erroneous. That's, I mean, that's exactly true, because, Mark, one of them says most of these police chiefs yes. would prefer no one have guns at all. Yeah, and that's we, simply not true. We encounter people every day that are lawfully permitted people, and, and, and they go about their business just in every manner, and we support that 100%. What we're trying to do is keep guns out of criminals' hands. That's it. The per, you know lawfully lawfully uh, occurring people they they have every right to carry a handgun and we support that and I you know this question says do, do we not want them walking around I support that a hundred percent like mm -hmm. I discussed before my daughter has a gun permit you know like I support her as a, uh, I have some additional requirements for her as my child to be more upschooled on carry and her ability to use it but you know like constitutionally yes it would be a constitutional violation if we were just saying you shouldn't carry, but what we're saying is, as long as you're not a prohibited person, person yeah. you can carry. But you know, I wanna actually take some time out on this question because as we're looking at the Bill of Rights in the Constitution, the Second Amendment, Bill of Rights, I can look at several of those Bill of Rights, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, they all come with limitations set forth by the courts. This is no different. Um, there are limitations already, and I see people. I see people all the time. Shall not be infringed. Does that mean we're going to allow our eight-year-old to carry a handgun? Because they're a citizen of this country too. I, I mean, there has to be some kind of common sense when it comes to things like this. Like, I can see that. I like can see why we wouldn't movie carry. Yeah, yeah, you know, you can't libel someone. You can't slander someone. You, you know, there's limitations on freedom of assembly, right? Um, it has to be peaceful. You can't block streets. You can't. You know, do all sorts of things. I mean, there are the courts have set forth even religious limitations. Um, you know, in terms of I, I think back when the Mormons challenged their um, marriage mm -hmm. to different to several people. You know, it it happens. The court said no, you can't do that. Right. Um, so there's the courts say a lot of things. And like I said, when people say we're not, you know, protectors of the Constitution, I'm like I'm protecting the Constitution every day. Every day, yeah. Um, and I'm protecting it with not only my life but my my sense of life as well, because I can be sued. I can be sued civilly as well if I violate those constitutional rights of people. And that's that's what I'm saying here. I mean, don't say that police are not prote protectors of the Constitution because we do it every day. Okay, I want to piggyback everything you just said with another question straight from a listener because, again, I feel like these kind of go hand in hand. And I'm just reading it verbatim. These are not my words. It's, it's the listener words here. It says, where else in society are law-abiding citizens forced to go through a process to be put on a list of innocent people? It is not our job to prove we're not guilty. That is the assumption. Why not work on providing police departments with the ability to access the databases they need in order to determine if someone is a prohibited person? I would have loved to have that to happen before any of this happened. <laughs> say, wouldn't that be nice? That would yeah. be great. Yeah. And maybe they probably should have thought about this before they en and enacted this. If that's, if that, I agree. I agree that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I wish we had the ability to do this very quickly, um, but we actually kind of do and it's this process and it's free and it doesn't take a lot of time you go online you fill it out you present your id and boom you got it um it's just like freedom to move around the nation you need a driver's license if you're going to be on the road to do that and we spend time in the bmv and we we, we take them all our you know our eight levels of who we are we have to do that to vote and although that's not in the bill of rights voting but it's still um it, it's part of who we are as Americans, and we still have to have an ID to do that mm -hmm. here in the state of Indiana. So I don't, I guess I don't see it as a huge 
encumbrance on anything that I do to have to do this, but you know, some people do. And I think that's their It's, it's no different, I guess, uh, like a simple analogy is we pay for our license plates, Kayla, mm-hmm. and we put a sticker on it that shows that they're valid. And we drive around with those license plates every day, and that's a symbol that says we paid for them. Now, we could say that we assume everybody has paid for their license plates on the street, and we could do away with license plates, and because then we wouldn't need the burden to prove that they've paid for their <laughs> license plates. It's a simple measure uh, just to assure legality and compliance. That's it. Okay, we are already 20 minutes in, so what I want to try to do is just rip through some of these <laughs> sure. as quickly as we can. I feel like we kind of got the political ones, for the most part, sort of out of the way, so hopefully we can rip through a lot of these. Um, that I, I'm just surprised, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, I don't know, there's, just, there's a lot of lack of knowledge when it comes to what the heck is going on with this. There's no source of information. Um, you're right. There really, there's no one just magical button on Google that no. will, will give this all to you. So I want to start here, because um, there was a lot of questions about this, too. It says... Um, with this constitutional carry bill, what will become of the existing lifetime licenses? So the lifetime licenses are still going to be in effect. Right, okay. It's still an asset for, for people because then that obviously allows them to uh, carry out of state with reciprocity, reciprocity agreements. So it's not, it's not uh, something that uh, is just now thrown into the trash. Uh, it still has an asset because people can use it to carry out of state. And they can show law enforcement that they're a permitted person. Uh-huh, what do you know? <laughs> Should they be in a situation where that's in question, yeah. they have that per se document that says, I've already been checked. This is the government has looked and said, I'm not prohibited. That's right. it. The bigger worry on that is, is if people, you know, different states have different carry laws. So people Correct. need to be more concerned with. If they have a permit, they're they're good to carry in other states which honor our permit, but they need to be very uh, uh, knowledgeable about what rules exist in other states. Well, that kind of piggybacks to the next question. It says, um, I have an Indiana handgun license. Currently, multiple other states recognize my Indiana license for carry rights in those states. Will other states still recognize it? They'll still recognize Indiana's because our, our carry permit process will remain in effect and it will still have the same stringent guidelines of ensuring non-prohibited people uh, their status. So nothing changes with that permitting process that just removes that from state residents as being a issue. So you will still have the same stringent guidelines. Other states will still have reciprocity between us. Here, I'm not 100% sure really what this question means, but maybe you guys do. Um, it says, does law enforcement offer an opt-in agreement to a database that lets the officers know they might be carrying. I'm not quite sure what this person's asking. I think that they're asking, is there a opt-in as such, I have a permit, I want to tell law enforcement that I, I have a permit, like I, I, want to, I want to give this? consent to put my name in a okay. database so that should I be stopped, uh, it, it's there. That if, if they have a gun permit, that system exists because the gun permitting system tells us that they're permitted, so. Can I just throw this out there, too, as a disclaimer? If you, if you have a permit and you are a permitted handgun carrier, you, you should just tell police officers in the event that, that there is any kind of run-in, hey, I, I have a firearm or I'm, I'm permitted to carry one, right? That's, I mean, I don't feel like you need a database for that. That's right? an opinion. You know, oh, like, okay. Well, I'm that, throwing my that's opinion That's an opinion. <laughs> it, you know, like, it depends situationally dependent. Um, I mean, we've, discussed, we've had people on traffic stops that halfway through the traffic stop, the conversation comes up and they say, yeah, I'm, I'm carrying my handgun. I have my permit with me. So... I mean, if you're doing lawful events, then that's usually not a big issue. I think it's one of those things where in, in uh, several states, it's it's a crime not to disclose that you have a weapon and a, and a permit on a traffic stop when when there's a when there is a uh, 
a traffic stop or, or another involvement with police and you're carrying, you're, you have to tell that. And so I think it's just better for people just to be honest and say, mm-hmm. yes, I'm carrying. I just want you to know. Right. Yeah. I'm completely in that same line of thinking. Um, this one, I feel like we we kind of touched on, but I feel like it's really important to explain this. Um, someone wrote in saying that they read in the local newspaper um, that this would do away with background checks. And then they, they asked, is that true? Question mark. This does away with background checks to carry a handgun. Mm-hmm. The federal government has laws specific to purchasing handguns, and that's there's a federal law dealing with your purchase of handguns with a background check that the federal government does if you go to a licensed firearms dealer. But there's also people can, private parties, I can sell you a handgun personally, and there is no background check for that. Let's Let's talk a little bit about that. Can you kind of dive more into that? Because there's essentially two different background checks, and I just, I don't know that people are quite understanding so there's when you purchase a firearm you get a licensed firearm dealer someone that the government is authorized to sell firearms they have to do a governmental background check on you and it's fairly uh it's a quick application maybe two or three pages and then they run it and then they give you an approval and that is your approval that the government says you can purchase that firearm you're not a prohibited person by their statute the permitting process in indiana is simply for uh, the carrying of a handgun. So that assumes you already have a firearm. Right. And so that is a separate issue. It just says, can I carry this firearm that I possess? Because you might have possessed it by someone might have given it to you. You might have been inherited a firearm from a family member, a parent. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have the right to possess it, that you are a permitted person or a pro- non-prohibited person. You might have the skeleton in your closet that tells you you still can't carry it. And because you didn't buy that gun, you don't know that because there is no process to check. Purchase it correct. Gotcha. Yeah, there is no national database for mental health. None. I think we kind of had this misnomer that, you know, because you can go in and purchase that gun that it was legally purchased. Yeah, it was by the federal background, but the local level is where you're getting those mental health checks, where you're getting those drug abuse, alcohol abuse checks. Um, and they're just not a national database for that. And I don't know when there will be, if there will be. I mean, that's something for for Congress um, to decide. But as it stands right now, there is not one. Um, Sophia, you said earlier that you're a little bit offended. Um, This one's probably going to offend you. Just give me a disclaimer. (laughs) I'm reading it. You know, as it came in, and this isn't so much of a question, but I would like to allow you all, if you want to, to respond to it. Um, This one, I actually find pretty offensive as well. Um, it says, at least we know where law enforcement loyalties are. It's not with the Constitution or the people. That's all we need to know. I get okay. it's not a question. I actually have that highlighted on here um, because I did take exception to that question. Yeah. And like I said before, um, I'm putting my butt on the line every day for the Constitution, for the protection of society. And I have to follow the Constitution or I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to lose my home and my savings and everything I've worked really hard all my life for. And I've dedicated my life to upholding the Constitution because I believe in it. Are there things that need to be improved in there? Absolutely. And we're doing that every day. And if this is where the lawmakers decided we're going, then I'm going to follow it and I'm going to adhere to it. I don't get to make these rules. I get to have a say in how I vote. But that doesn't mean I get to make the rules. Maybe one day I will. I don't know. But as it stands right now, I will do what the legislator says is law and what the governor has signed into law. So I guess I don't see where this question is coming from, except to be 
Um, it's to be mean. It's to be well, malicious. There's no underlying. Yeah. There's no under. There's no background story. I mean, to this, we yeah. we have an opinion. We see it on a very frontline issue. We're not seeing this isn't a frontline issue where we're arguing the, le, the the legitimacy of someone that lawfully carries a handgun. What we're arguing, what our argument prior to the passage of this law was, was simply that this process helps keep guns out of people that are prohibited hands. And it's another check and balance system that allows for non-prohibited, for prohibited people to not have access to firearms. And, you know, the confusion that we see in all these questions is confusion that a lot of people yeah. are going to have because yeah. now they can't clarify that confusion with something simple like, can I carry a handgun? Can I apply for a permit? So now we're going to have this double down confusion. We support firearms. And like Sophia, she had a, that was a perfect statement. I, that's the exact same statement mm -hmm. I'd say. Once the law changes, we're here to support that law. And that is how it changes. So we just had our opinion prior to that law change. And that's all it was. You know, we support not only the U.S. Constitution, but we also swear to uphold Indiana Constitution, Indiana statutes, regulations, and, and ordinances. And firearms is one of those uh, items that have been identified as a highly regulated business, uh, much like uh, alcohol industry, uh, salvage yards, precious metal industry. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just one of those items. And, and we've swore to uphold all of that. And uh, legislature uh, has a right to regulate certain businesses. Tobacco. Tobacco. You can't yeah, be 18-year-olds yeah. cannot buy tobacco products, and you have to be 21 now. And that law is an Indiana law now, 21 years old, but they can carry handguns now. Kind of, I feel like we're kind of jumping around, but that's because of the questions. I'm blaming the questions, but I kind of want to jump around um, to talking about background checks, Mark. Um, and when we walked into the studio today, you actually said, hey, this is the one question that I do think really needs some digestion here. And, it's, and it comes, this, just reading it verbatim, it says, I heard the interview where the detective said, which I'm assuming that's when you were on, Mark, this, talking about you. Um, I heard the interview where the detective said that 14% of those who applied for CC permits were deemed unacceptable. The process that should be challenged is the background check when purchasing the firearm. When seeking a permit, the unacceptable person already owns the firearm. So shouldn't the background process be what's challenged, not the permits? I mean, I think this leads us down a very different road in the conversation. It does, but it's, it's an interesting question. I and, I, and I agree with it. Yeah. I, I would. People always say we work a very gang violent crime. How do you solve this problem? I said the availability of firearms becomes an issue. I agree. If it, what I believe this question is saying is, how come guns are so easily uh, acquired? Yeah. And some of it is the non-background check, private party transfers of firearms. I think is a loophole that needs to be examined because if the government requires that you get a background check to buy from a federal firearms licensed dealer, but you don't need one to private party sale, then we have this black market of firearms that goes around the, the federal law. And that's how a lot of our criminals access firearms. And then they have them and it, then it doesn't matter if there's a back permit process. So regardless whether you think the background process would need to change or not, kind of I, as you all have stated, the law is the law. We enforce it the way it is. Right. I, I think he's just saying if if guns are getting into people's hands, why are we not checking the system that allows guns to be purchased? Because there's two different systems. There's federally regulated systems and then non-regulated systems. I already know the answer to this next, next question simply because of a lot of members of law enforcement that I've spoken with. Um, but I'm going to put it to you. The question says, are there police officers who do support constitutional carry yes 100 percent. and you know again 
We all are entitled to our opinion, but we still have to enforce the law as it written. Don't you think, and this is, this, uh, this is my own question, I guess, do you find that maybe your opinions, and I'm not asking any of you to directly answer this per se, but how you view something as a citizen versus how you view something as a police officer in the case of guns, I would think could be dramatically different. I was very powerfully moved to sit through hours and hours and hours and hours of testimony. Lucky you. Because <laughs> we had to, we had to li we listened to both sides of the story. Yeah. And you know there are compelling arguments on both sides of the story. So I I, I agree with some arguments on this on the constitutional carry side. I agree with them. I just find that some of the arguments for the permit process are heavier weighted mm -hmm. towards uh, reasonableness than they are than the opposite. So. All right. As we kind of sort of come to a close, I feel like. We addressed most of the questions on here. I, I hope we did. Um, but I kind of want to have a couple wrapping thoughts, which, um, first of all, I want to clarify, because a lot of questions that I get during my day job with the radio program that I host is the assumption that this new legislation, which was signed into a law, as you said, goes into effect July 1st, there's this assumption that it completely changes gun laws. I've had so many questions about people asking me, so does this mean I can carry around a school now, or does this mean I can carry in government buildings? The answer is no, by the way. Um, but are you able to, and I know it's still evolving and we're still learning about it, but are you able to just kind of put a nice little bow on what this legislation does in fact do and does not do? You still, you know, you have to be educated. You're carrying yes. a firearm. Yeah. Be educated. Go look, read the law, read the policies that are enforced. But this is a, you know, guns are very heavily regulated. Where you can carry them on government property is typically illegal. So you have to be very well educated about that. And schools are highly protected. And yeah, what this does not change all this does that. is it just removes the requirement for you to have a physical permit on your person to carry a handgun. You no longer need a permit as long as you don't fit into those categories of prohibited people by state law, which is felons, convicted domestic batterers, and there's a long list. So people need to educate themselves on that list, ensure that they don't fall within that list category, and then they don't need a permit to carry a handgun. I just want to reiterate, private businesses regulate themselves, okay? If you think you're going to walk into a major department store or a grocery store and carry and open carry and they ask you to leave, you have to abide by their rules. This does not allow you to just openly walk wherever you want and do whatever you want. That business has a right to say, no, I don't want that here, and then it is your at that point your decision to leave and if you don't then they'll call us and, and they'll be that'll be a real mess yes that's so, a really another good clarification though, yeah I just want people yeah. to understand and, and you, you need to research this um, I don't want to sound cold or anything but it's not up to us to educate you you Correct. have to educate yourself on what the laws are because we simply cannot do it in a 27 minute show we've already gone over we've gone way over uh, yeah way over <laughs> so we simply cannot do it all so you have to educate yourself in ignorance of the law does not make any excuse um, moving forward. That's so a bumper sticker. After July 1st, you have to be educated. And if you are not, then if there are things that happen, you know, it, it happens. Okay, before we wrap this up, speaking of July 1st, though, when this law takes effect, and with the information that you all have now at your fingertips, which I'm sure, again, you'll c proceed to get some in the days and weeks and months ahead. But moving forward, when this does take effect, what does this mean for you guys? How is that going to impact your everyday job? It's just going to be a different investigation. No longer 
uh, will it be will there be a per se document that allows us to determine permissibility and and readers have to remember or listeners have to remember that this is in conjunction with other crimes that we majoritively deal with that we're investigating permissibility of carrying a handgun when there's some other issue afoot that's when we're determining you know we don't stop people on the street to determine permissibility this is whenever there is in conjunction with some other crime or investigation that we're determining permissibility, it's just going to change how we determine the length of time it takes for us to determine where we can access information. That's what it changes for law enforcement. It doesn't change hardly anything else for law enforcement, just how we determine permissibility. For those who are permitted, it's going to be that same easy check for us. With the push of a button, we're going to be able to identify that that person's a proper person. Uh, like Detective Deshaye said, if, if there is some kind of a nexus that we have that somebody may not be a uh, somebody may be prohibited then it's something that's going to allow us to investigate further and it's going to be a it's going to be a, it's just uh, going to be a different timer. process it's it probably is. a yeah. longer it's going to be longer it's going to be a lot longer okay would that happen like let's just use a traffic stop for an example and there's some reason to believe that a person is prohibited do you even know what you would do in that moment to find out if that person is prohibited? There are there are different uh, to say July second. Uh, yeah, know, there's yeah. different databases that are available to us now, but not the complexity of what was checked with the permit. I see. So okay. maybe let's say the permit checked ninety eight percent of a background. We might be able to roadside check seventy percent of a background. So yeah, we, we there's going to be a thirty percent window of stuff that we might have to look at after the fact, or it might take the next day or the day following. Okay. So yeah, we we just will have to run into that as as it comes. But right now, it looks like we're only going to have access to about seventy percent. Well, that kind of does bring up one one. It was more of again a comment, it wasn't so much a question that I didn't bring up, but I'm going to now since you just you are talking about the process and how it could change. Um, and this is one that, again, you're probably going to find kind of offensive. But it said, I'm tired of the easier for law enforcement mentality. When I look at it right now, the way, the, the way that the system stands is it is easier, obviously, for you guys to identify someone who is either a permit holder or a prohibited person to be a firearms carrier in public. But this is in conjunction with a crime. We're investigating right. a crime at that point. Yeah, not, we're not just walking up to Kayla, yeah. walking Correct. down the street and saying, hey, give, give me your name. That's illegal to do. We cannot do that. But here's what really struck me with this. Easier for law enforcement. What I can't figure out is why you wouldn't want to make it easier for our officers to do what they need to do to protect and serve our communities. And more transparent. This gives us a better transparency into what we're doing because we're saying these are the set of circumstances that you can't do this. You know, we're not being, we're not telling you drive down this road, there's no speed limit sign, we'll tell you when you violate it. <laughs> when the permitted process was around, it said these are the criteria to be a non-prohibited person and it's very transparent. I, you know, to me this Constitutional carry just puts a little bit of a fog over people's ability to be able to yeah. discern this. You have all these questions. Why? Because people have this fog. They, it's not clear to them. And they're looking for clarity, and there's just no single-point reference for the clarity on this issue. It's going to take a long time to discern. Yeah, and not even for us. So yeah. we're trying to work through all of this ourselves and with legal and making sure we are, uh, what, upholding the Constitution. Yeah. So, you know, I— Easier for law enforcement. Um, I'm sorry. I, I I just I take exception to that. I, I don't. My nothing about my job is easy. Nothing about your job. That's Absolutely why I said, nothing. Even if we could make it easier, why yeah, not? Yeah, and you know, 
as someone who, as this question goes on, I've been in law enforcement for 19 years, he, sh- he or she should know that. Mm-hmm. Nothing about this job is easy. Everything, you have to be educated. You have to constantly, every day, be reading what the Supreme Court is coming out. And by the way, the Supreme Court did deem permitting constitutional. Mm-hmm. So... It, it's not an intrusion on your rights. The Supreme Court said it wasn't, okay? But but the state wants to make it easier for its citizens. Fine. Then that's what it is, and that's what we'll deal with. When I passed y'all the, these sheets of questions, did they surprise you? Did they anger you? Did they make you feel a certain way? No, because I feel like this is a very good cross-sectioning of what we heard in the testimony at the Senate and the State House. these same type of questions of uh, constitutional questioning, the constitutionality of it and questioning why you would need to ask the government like when you had referenced mm-hmm. I felt like you said I feel like I'm asking the government for permission mm-hmm. to carry instead of looking at it as just asking to make sure that there's nothing in my past that prohibits me from carrying so I mean people I think the more anytime the, you have more discussion you have more education you have a better understanding of each person's viewpoints it helps answer a lot of questions well I, I, appreciate- I never get mad at the process this is what it is this is the American process at work and this is what happens and we will follow it we will educate ourselves we will do what we need to do and we'll follow this law um, so that we ensure that the constitution is upheld i uh, appreciate the transparency because i feel like some of these questions were not very nice and nothing about offensive. law enforcement is nice yeah, Kayla. nothing about law enforcement <laughs> no that is true did i miss anything do you feel like there's questions out there that are important that y'all get on your end that we maybe didn't cover here with this list of questions yeah, I think I think the you know, the question about uh, you know it being easier for law enforcement that's that's not what law enforcement's worried about. I think what law enforcement's worried about is the number that Mark discussed is that fourteen percent of the people that think that they can carry and and don't really recognize why they're prohibited. And and I think there's going to be people out there that are going to make mistakes and get themselves in a conundrum where that permit process took care of it. If people have more questions, Sophia, I'm going to go ahead and just tell them to keep sending them our way. We can do our best to try and address them. Maybe not so much during the show, but whether we email back or, you know, I, I don't know. Text Maybe it'd be back. a good revisit right before the law goes into effect. That's, Once they have a little bit more established. That's why you get paid the big bucks. Oh, more. yeah. Clearly. <laughs> way, Clearly. Huge. Uh, Mark, Matt, truly, I appreciate you both coming in and letting us just rip these off and fire them at you. Um, I, 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 the transparency, I think, is just that's what makes this show Sophia, I think one of a kind, so unique, so special. And as always, if you have missed any previous episodes of Unholstered, you can download us anywhere you can download a podcast. Your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.